All right. Well, as Jeremy said, we are in the midst of a study, and we are in 1 Kings. And this week was kind of crazy because in our reading, the nation of Israel split. And so we're going to, we're going to take on today 1 Kings 12 because it's so important that we get an understanding for the rest of of kings. This split. For the rest of kings, you will have two nations. You will have the northern, which is made up of ten tribes, which is known as Israel. And then you have the southern, which is made up of two tribes, known as Judah, even though it's Judah and Benjamin. You'll see things to talk about. Just Judah was the only one that stayed loyal to King David's line, but Benjamin is included. And the reason being is that the ancient city of Jebus, where the Jebusites lived, which later became Jerusalem and the city of David, is actually in the inheritance of Benjamin, right on the border. And so when the southern stayed together, the Benjamins, Benjaminites could not really leave Jerusalem in that area, so they stayed with Judah. Okay? So I've got a map today, so we'll get to look at some stuff. But before we do that, I'd like us to read a chapter of Scripture today in the Word of God, 1 Kings chapter 12. So turn to that, if you will, whether it be through your, your phone an app. Listen, hopefully when you came in today, you were given this little colorful um, guide. This is something that we produced the last time we, we, we taught on Kings, which was a few years ago. But we put it the size that you could keep it in a Bible. Speaking of Bibles, is that a borrowed Bible that you had, Paul? Is that a new Bible you got? Because those of us in the in the men's prayer, we've seen a few Bibles that have been um, loved on, I guess would be the word I would use. <laughs> Got that Bible, and I think starting in Leviticus, there's a few pages. It's just been loved. So anyway, it was good to see the new Bible. Anyway, all right. So this you can put in here, and you can keep as a way of looking at things when you go, all right, what king are we talking about? Wait, is this the northern tribe? Is this the southern tribe? What is this? So this will help you figure out where we are in the book of Kings. Okay? So um, if you didn't, you, there's still some up front? I mean, out in, in the foyer? All right. If we don't, if you are online, um, text me and I'll, I'll see about getting one for you. But um, if you've been here, you could have gotten one. Anyway, so there we go. All right, let's read 1 Kings chapter 12. And there's 33 verses, so it's going to be a little while, but let's get the gist of it, all right? Here we go. Beginning in verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. 
So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten this harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days, and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his but, Re- but Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, What is your advice? How shall we advise these people who say to me, Lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke, and I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, and I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part of Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor. But all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered all Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 able young men, to go to war against Israel and regain the kingdom Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But this word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all, Ju- to all Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says. Do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home again as the Lord had ordered Verse 25, then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there, he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their lord Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. 
Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel, the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. Then this he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the 8th month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar. He had built at Bethel, so he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. There's so much in this chapter, but let's try to let's try to um, get our, our minds around this, and let's get our eyes on it. So I've got a map for you. I'd like you to look at, so we we can see sort of what's going on. as king. Now, Judah already assumed because he was a son of Solomon and he was a son of David was going to be the king of Judah. There's no suggestion. There's no suggestion. Where they need to be, they don't need to be convinced. Rehoboam is going to be their king. He's going to Shechem up into Ephraim right up over here to make the appeal to the rest of the tribes. Okay? And so, you see, you see down here, this is where uh, Jerusalem is, down here. So, that being said, Rehoboam has a choice. Now, Jeroboam, who was not in the country when Solomon was there. When Solomon died, Jeroboam heard that Rehoboam was going to be installed, so he was down in Egypt hiding. Okay, He was in hiding because Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam because Jeroboam got a prophecy by a prophet ripped up the garments and said, you get ten, the other two are going to be for Solomon. Not for the sake, because Solomon's so great, because of his father David. It's because of David we won't completely rip it out of it. And so, Solomon, he's not stupid. So he tries to kill Jeroboam, and Jeroboam runs and flees and hides with Shishak in Egypt. The king there. Let me let me ask you a question about Solomon. So Solomon hears that someone else has been anointed king, and so he tries to kill him. Who does that sound like? When we were reading the book of Samuel, who does that sound like? That sounds like Saul. Doesn't sound like David. That sounds like Saul. Solomon, in his old age, is now trying to kill. Someone that God has anointed to become king later? Huh. Solomon's not very wise. 
And so Rehoboam goes, and they confront him, and they say, man, your father gave us a heavy burden. There was a lot of forced labor for all of his projects that he did around Israel. And a heavy yoke. When you hear yoke, think taxes. Way back when, when Samuel was asked, hey, we need a king. Samuel said, guess what? When you get a king, he's going to take the best of your stuff. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your young maidens. He's going to take a lot portion of your food. This is taking place, and Solomon did that. And so when Rehoboam is faced with the question, he says, okay, I need to think about it. Give me three days. That's about the only thing he did smart, honestly. And so when you look at Rehoboam, did you notice the, the questions when he asks the elders and when he asks the young men? He says this, when he asks the elders, he says, me. How would you advise me to answer the people? But when he's talking to the young men who had grown up within his household, he says, how can we answer the people? This is very telling because Clearly, Rehoboam identifies with people his age. People that have grown up within probably the court. This could very much be many of Solomon's children from his 700 wives and 300 concubines. He's got his own posse, if you will. And he's, they're hanging around and enriched in wealth. And let's just say they're sort of lost touch with Joe and Jane Israelite working the working and growing crops and vineyards and struggling and giving some to the government to the king these guys have been living off it one thing i've noticed about Rehoboam that is so telling We never see him consulting God. What do you think? He never does. He consults the elders, but he's basically, that's a formality. He's already decided he's not going to obey the elders. These are old people. They don't know what they're doing. They're stupid. And he got his friends together and said, tell me what I want to hear. And he acts bold and brash. And the people of Israel reject him immediately. In fact, they say this, which is very, very interesting. He says this, or they say this. What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's sons? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. We have heard this statement before. When Absalom tries to take the kingdom from David, right after Absalom is killed, another person rises up. His name is Sheba. And as David is coming back to Jerusalem, Sheba does a revolt. And he says almost the exact same thing. Almost word for word. 
this time it's not just a Benjaminite that's seizing this. It's all of Israel, all of those ten tribes. What share do we have? You're not listening to us. We're asking you to be lighter. And you want to say, oh, I'm going to make it worse. And the elders who knew and had worked in Solomon's, who had been privy to his wisdom, said, if you are kind to them, they'll be yours forever. But we do know now that it was all God's planning. Because of, Sol- because of Solomon's disobedience, there was a tear, a rip in the nation. All right, so, what else do we need to know about Rehoboam? So, Rehoboam escapes with his life in a chariot, goes back to Jerusalem, and musters up 180,000 people. He's getting ready to go back and take the nation by force. No, 10 against 2 could be a problem, but he's going to do it anyway. He gets everybody ready, and lo and behold, a prophet shows up, Shemaiah. Okay, and Shemaiah says this. He says, But this word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, which is his, he's been identified, to all of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people. Shemaiah is not just talking to the king. He's not just talking to Judah. He's not just talking to Benjamin. He's talking to all the people. So that everyone hears that this is from God. Because I think if he had just told Rehoboam, just like the other elders were ignored in their advice, that Rehoboam may have still tried to go and take the northern area again by force. But he tells all the people, and they say, oh, this is from the Lord. And they go home. Rehoboam's like, come on, guy. He's not going to take it by himself. And so Rehoboam is a bad king. He's a bad king. He doesn't, doesn't seek the Lord only hears what he wants to hear, doesn't take advice of people that are older and wiser than him. He's kind of lame. So now let's look at the other king now, because now we have two kings. King Jeroboam. The prophet told him that he was going to be king. He fled for his life in Egypt, and when now it's time for Rehoboam to be anointed, he shows up. And begins to ask the questions that the rest of Israel want to know. And so after Rehoboam proves that he's kind of a jerk. They put Jeroboam as king. They anoint him and he's now king over the northern tribes. So what what do we know about Jeroboam? We know that he was probably a good worker. He identified himself. Solomon liked him, put him in charge of all the forced labor. 
after he became king, we don't see anywhere that he consults God either on what to do. In fact, it says this. He says to himself. He's not even looking for, not looking for much advice. He's, he's looking to himself. He says to himself, if these guys go back down to Jerusalem to worship and to take offerings at the temple, they're going to what? They're going to kill me. They're going to go back to Rehoboam. They're going to kill me. This is a decision on self-preservation. So, even though Jeroboam was anointed by a prophet, he chose himself, thinking to himself, I'm going to make decisions to protect myself. Even though God said you were going to be king. Who does that sound like? I currently am reading a book by Max Licato called Facing Your Giant. And this is Max Licato's take on the story of David. And it's funny that Max points out a lot of things. When David consults God what he should do, things turn out well for him. When he consults himself, he does things that aren't very godly. And he makes Wrong decisions. If God says you're going to be king and you're anointed, you're going to be king. God will make sure that that happens. You should not worry about it. But now, Jeroboam has said, well, if they go down to Jerusalem, which is required by the law for the men to go three times a year down to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices... He is afraid that Israel is going to turn back to the line of David. Even though God said, you're going to be king. This is important because, listen, God definitely wanted a political division between Judah and Israel. He wanted two kings because the disruption, the ripping of the, of the nation into two was as a result of what Solomon did. But he, God, did not want a division spiritually. Do you get the difference? Listen, there there are people in this congregation that are politically different than me. Black and white. But you know what? They're still my brothers in Christ. And we can worship together on a Sunday morning. We can be involved in a life group together. Because you know what? It's the spirit that unites us, even if we have a disagreement about things. Seriously. But Jeroboam had nothing of it. And so what he decides, then he consults advice, and he sets up two counterfeit temples for the northern tribes. One in Bethel and one 
in Dan. And both of these are very significant places. First of all, Bethel. Why Bethel? Why Bethel did he set up a temple? In the history of Israel, this is where Jacob first meets God. That's why it's called Bethel, the house of God. God must be here. He calls it Bethel. It's in the center of the northern tribes, closer to Jerusalem than Shechem. Shechem, Jeroboam sets up as his own personal, um, that's where his, that's where the king's going to be living. And then he goes and sets up one on the northern end, Dan. Okay, <laughs> I can tell you a lot about, about Dan. First of all, Dan was never supposed to be up in the north. Dan was supposed to be next to Judah, close to the Philistines, but Dan never took the land. And so they became wanderers. Do you remember in Judges, Micah and his idols? When the people of Dan take him by force and they go up north, and he's Micah's idols are taken from him, they set up a Levite, and he becomes their priest, and he goes up north. It's still going on, so it's an ideal place to put another worship center. We have reason to believe that both of them were made in the same shape and style of the temple or maybe even the tabernacle in tents, but we don't know for sure. But what we do know is that Jeroboam says this, Hear, O Israel, here are your gods. It's too much for you to go down to Jerusalem. I'm going to make that more convenient. You can go to Bethel or you can go up north if you're really into traveling for a far place. And you can do your sacrifices there. And guess what? The festivals are the same date and time as they were back in Jerusalem. This is a counterfeit religion. This is what Jeroboam is setting up. It's counterfeit. It's so contrary to the law, even more so. Let's go back to what, what Jeroboam says. Here are your gods, O Israel. Where have we heard that before? Let's turn to Exodus chapter 32, verses 2 through 4. Let me set the stage for you. Moses goes up to the mountain. He's there for a long time. People start grumbling. So Aaron says this. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. They're saying the exact, Jeroboam is saying the exact same thing that Aaron said that brought about death and destruction at the base of Mount Sinai. That was loud, sorry. I I got fired up. Did, Did they forget their history? Did they see what was going... This is almost exactly verbatim. 
How is he able to get away with that? Did they know their word? What was, what were they thinking? And so it immediately, Jeroboam's reign becomes a stumbling block for the people of the northern tribes. They, they go and do what's required of them, but they forget about the God part in the obedience. Well, they bring their sacrifices. They show up at the required time, but they forgot God. They're sticking going through the motions. That's what they're doing. And the big thing about that is for the rest of kings, you will hear Whenever they talk about a king in Israel, meaning the northern tribes, they says that they all get the designation, they're an evil king. They're a bad king because of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Just like Jeroboam, son of Nebat, you'll see it until you're sick of it. Because every single one of them said, well, I'm not going not to trust God with this because they may go down to Jerusalem. And every single one of them lead the northern tribes into idol worship. And it's heartbreaking. Because Jeroboam, even though he heard the word of the Lord from the prophet Ahijah, He said, I'm going to do what I think is best. And we're back to judges all over again. Why is this important to us today? Was this just an interesting story? Was this narrative just there for us to to get the history? I don't know. There's a few things I think we can look at today that I think will be very relevant from what our reading today so that we can go forward into what God is trying to encourage us to do. As as we read any of this narrative, we need to know that these things happened so that we can learn from them. I mean, that's biblical. That's truth. We read this stuff and go, man, do we do that stuff? No, we don't. We're not that stupid. No, yes, we are that stupid. Let's look at three. Just three. What time is it? Ah, we've got plenty of time. All right. Are you guys with me on Facebook? Okay, good. So why is this important for us today? First thing, I think, is that the people forgot their history. We're not doing that now, are we? Absolutely we're doing it now. This makes us feel uncomfortable, so let's get rid of history. Therefore, we are doomed to repeat it. Did they forget about what Aaron did at the bottom of the hill of Mount Sinai? Because they repeated the exact same words. Did they forget what happened to Sheba when when he was in rebellion? Because they said the exact same words. They've forgotten their history. And because they did, they were doomed to repeat it. 
Second one. They chose a faith out of convenience. Jeroboam convinces the people in the northern tribes to stay put. He says, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. That's far away, and you have to go uphill, and it's a different country now. And so he chooses convenience. Hey, Bethel's close, and if you're up in the north, go to Dan. What does that look like for us today? Listen, there are many ways, many people are saying, hey, I'm getting comfortable just staying home. I'm just going to stay home, stay in my PJs and watch it on a screen. I submit to you, my friends, that's not church. Listen, we've done the best we can with trying to obey the rules and do that. But let me tell you, there needs to be a time when you need to return to church. You need to be a part of a fellowship and rubbing shoulders or knuckles or whatever together. We're supposed to live together. Listen, what is the very first thing that God said in Genesis was bad? Or not good. He says it is not good for man to be alone. That was the very first thing. We are meant to be together. We are meant to be social. We are meant to interact. You know why? Because when we're by ourselves, we get delusional. We make wrong decisions. Thank God I have a wife. I'd be dead by now if I didn't have a wife doing something stupid what do you mean i can't have a blender in the in the in the bathtub i have no idea what you're talking about i'm trying to make a whirlpool no you're gonna get electrocuted oh that's probably a smart idea thank you baby why are you up on the roof with flip-flops that's a good idea honey maybe i'll put some regular shoes on i mean i can't tell you how many times she saved my life I tend to make stupid decisions by myself. And then I have a neighbor next door. Jose Luis says, what are you doing? You shouldn't do it that way. What, we have to do it the Mexican way? <laughs> Turns out, there's some pretty good ideas. I need people in my life. Because when I get by myself... I get pretty crazy. And you do too. Listen, we are meant to be together. How do I know this? Not just me saying it. Let me tell you what the Bible says. If we look at the New Testament, when he's talking about the church, we talk about people being together. We have commands, not suggestions, commands of the one another's. What we need to do for one another. Just a sampling. Here's ten. We are to encourage one another. We are to love one another. We are to accept one another. We're to instruct, teach, and admonish one another. We are to serve one another. We're to forgive one another. We're to offer hospitality to one another. 
We're to have fellowship with one another. We are to confront one another lovingly, yet truthfully, about sin. And we are to build up one another in maturity. I'm sorry, none of those things happen on text. None of those things happen on a FaceTime. It's living life together. How can you practice hospitality by yourself? Well, if you were to ever come over, it would look like this. No, come on over. I got to practice it because I'm pretty bad at it at first. You can't invite people over and just give them popcorn. Here, here's some Cheetos. My wife has taught me this. You need to do more. Offer them something to drink with it. Oh, that's a good idea. We need to experience life together. Listen, if you don't bump up against somebody, you don't struggle with somebody, hey, did you say that to me? Oh, I've got to forgive you. I've got to learn that your needs are more important than my own. I can't tell you how many things. You want to, you want to grow in your faith? Mingle with other Christians. It's always going to be nitty-gritty. It's going to be tough. Not always, but most of the time. Because people are, are a lot like you, or they're completely different from you. But we're called to be together. And we need to do this. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I mean, it's not a choir here. But I'm preaching to you guys because we're already here. But I'm talking to you guys. You need to come. I don't know when. But you need to make a mark. You need to plan on coming back. I know there's lots of stuff out there to worry about. But I know one thing. God is in control. Nothing is a surprise. Step out in faith. You need to come. You need to be a part of it. You need to invite other people. Because there are some people that have never experienced love from God's love. They've never seen it. They can see it here. So you are growing in your faith and you are Building and making disciples. Oh, wait, that's exactly what Jesus told us to do. We do it here. All right, I'll get off my soapbox. And I'll get on my podium. (laughs) Okay, next one. Many of the things that happened in the narrative that we read today, these were decisions made without consulting God. And listen, all of us, we get wrapped up and we start just making decisions. We don't check with God. I mean, even the saints in the Bible sometimes forgot to consult God. So you're okay, but you need to get back. What does God have to say about this? That is why Jeremy and I hound you and hound you. Get in the Word. Get in the Word. Know what the Bible says. Know what He wants you to do. That does not guarantee that you're going to do it, but at least you'll know and you're getting some advice. 
because, listen, I'm telling you all of this because I love you. Because I have spent time in your homes. Because I have seen the good times, the bad times. I've been with you. So has Jeremy. We have grown to love you. We pray for you. Listen, you having trouble? You have a struggle with someone that you're really having a hard time getting to know, getting to spend time with people? He's like, this one person makes me crazy. Start praying for him. Listen, I think Brenda's great. Known her for a while now. We haven't got to spend a lot of time together, but you know what? I love her more today than I did before I started praying for her on a daily basis while she was serving our country. Can't tell you how happy I am to see her now. Why? Because I was praying for her. I wanted, I wanted her to be safe. I wanted her to return. I wanted to spend some time with her husband, talking with him. And the struggles he was going through, man, he's missing his wife. Start praying. Start asking God, who do you want to put in my life that we can share life together and we can read God's word together and we can step out in faith and start doing what he wants us to do? That's all from just one chapter of scripture. Isn't God good? Have we learned something today that we didn't know before? Is God's word shaping us and changing us as we step out and grow into maturity? That's what God intended. That's what God intended. All right, it is now 11.50. We're going to be 10 minutes early because we didn't have testimonies this week. So, once you bow your heads and let's pray together. Father God, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us the history of a people so that we can learn from it, so that we can not be so challenged. Father God, thank you for the things in our life that make us uncomfortable, that make us fearful, that make us stumble, because it means we rely more on you. We need to rely more and more on you. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he chose, like Paul said, to go to the cross to pay the debt of sin for all of us. Father God, I ask that you will build us as a community to be closer and closer in unity to have more and more opportunities to love one another, to forgive one another, to share with one another. We need each other, Lord. We need you and we need each other. It's what it's got to be. 
Help us, Lord, in all of those areas. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.